companions. We help you discover your many layers. You peel your car, you wake up, with fresh eyes. Question life, question humanity, question society, but most of all, question yourself. Jonathan Colley is a passionate social entrepreneur. He began his career as a doctor in the NHS before moving into health IT via an MBA at University of Edinburgh. In 2016, Jonathan co-founded The Age of No Retirement to radically reshape society's thinking around age and create new solutions that embraced our longer, healthier, more productive lives. He has also been leading the development of the common room model in the past two years. We are happy to have Jonathan on this episode of Onions Talk Changemakers. My name is Jonathan Colley and in 2016 I co-founded the organisation called The Age of No Retirement. And in the last two years, I've been working on a new service innovation called The Common Room. So tell me more about the age of no retirement and also The Common Room. <laughs> um, they're simple questions, big answers. Um, the age of no retirement came about almost by accident. Um, I was working on a, um, a project in in the workspace, uh, which was to help people over 50 or in and around the retirement space um, find flexible paid work opportunities, matching their skills and availability with local small and medium-sized businesses. And um, it was going well on the one hand because loads of people over the age of 50 were joining the site. And it was going not so well because not many employers were joining the site. And so we wanted to figure out um, or really get to the bottom as to why it was that employers were not um, uh, seeing the opportunity of these people who had decades of experience and wisdom and skills, lots of availability and were willing to work flexibly and therefore affordably. So um, when we delved a bit deeper and we interviewed a number of the employers, we discovered that ageism in the workplace is just an insurmountable barrier. Um, people, when they presented with a, a resource pool of amazing talent um, that's over the age of 50, in their mind's eye, they feel it's over 50 equals 85, um, equals somebody in a care home, equals somebody who's uh, got crumbly health and, and is, is tech illiterate, can't learn new things and is not worth employing. So um, the age of no retirement came about, I suppose it's a long uh, way to answer your question, um, because we felt we needed to change something. We needed to really penetrate people's consciousness with regards to the, this missed opportunity, the fact that it's an incredible economic resource being completely overlooked and undervalued. And it's readily available. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's amazing the, the, the folly uh, in, 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 in what we were experiencing, what we've discovered. And so the age of our retirement started off as an event in London. It was two days. It took a lot of organizing. It took us six months to organize it. It, uh, it comprised of 27 debates, each 45 minutes in length, across nine themes, exploring every aspect of suppose later life uh, from the uh, middle age onwards, looking at um, consumerism, looking at care, looking at um, education, looking at self and family, looking at uh, communities, looking at work, finances. Um, and we managed to attract, I think it was 
350 people from 150 organizations, um, lots of corporate involvement, lots of, <clears throat> excuse me, designers and creatives. It really did cut across um, and engage people of all sectors, not just those who you typically find in the, in the positive aging or age inclusive type uh, environment. And we captured 50 hours of audio um, with amazing voices and amazing contributions across those two days. Uh, we collected eight kilograms of paper and post-it notes and everybody who was there um, at the beginning of the event was there at the end. It was really quite, quite amazing. And what had started off as a, as a marketing exercise, if, if you will, for, for the uh, work service that we developed, at the end of that event, it became apparent that this, this could become a thing in, in itself. Um, so the age and over time could spark a movement for thinking differently about um, age, about aging, about longevity, about the concept of being older, but not yet old. And it took us six weeks to analyze all that we had collected and captured. And from that, we, I suppose, discovered six truths and, and it became the six building blocks upon which the Age and Over Time as an organization was founded and really how we continue to explore and try and discover the essence of truth that would change things fundamentally, um, which I think four years later, we're starting to get closer to being able to do that. Um, we haven't quite done it, but we feel that we have the building blocks um, in order to achieve change. Um, and the six themes, I suppose, if I remember correctly, um, I can remember all of them. The first one was, it's not just about um, older, it's about the life course. It's as important to look at a 10-year-old and think that they might be living for another 90 years as it is to a 50-year-old and saying you're going to live for another 50. Um, so it's, it's the full 100-year life, essentially, that we, we need to be looking at. Um, and also, you can't look at any one life in isolation of all the others. So it's all lives together. It's intergenerational. It's age inclusivity. We can't keep designing for over 50s, for over 65s, for 18 to 24-year-olds, for over 35s. It, 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 that makes no sense. So those were the first two. It was about the whole life and, and intergenerational. Um, the other two were we have to change the language we use. We have to reclaim normal language for normal things and not keep looking at... Um, the third act and the third age and encore years and um, and trying to I suppose euphemize everything that that has to do with age we, we have to be honest truthful and straight um, and linked to that is the fourth one which is all around storytelling we need an abundance of stories of regular people doing regular things throughout the course of their life which just really talk to productivity, to purpose, to fulfillment. Um, and we must refrain from constantly seeking the sensational stories, the 100-year marathon runners, the skydivers, the, uh, the people who, who are doing e exceptional things that other people can't relate to and can't aspire to. Uh, it was great if a 100-year-old can run a marathon, but <laughs> it's not something you can train for. You're just lucky if you can do that. So. Um, there have to be stories that are achievable and reachable for people. Um, the fifth one is 
design thinking, design-led thinking, um, and moving away from being prescriptive, from driving things from local government, from politicians, from big corporates, from brands, and saying this is how this works, but more, uh, I suppose, abandoning assumptions and stereotypes and looking at involving people and trying to understand what the truth is of the opportunity and the need. So design thinking is very important. That's the fifth one. And the sixth and last one was um, work. That employment, uh, jobs, careers is such a fundamental part of, of life. Um, and with the erosion of the retirement space because pensions aren't what they used to be and there's now so much time in later life in health that we have to start thinking about 60 years of work, 70 years of work, and, and how people can continuously reinvent themselves and adapt and acquire skills and learn and move away from the front-loaded education system where everything is about university and schools. And from the age of 23, that's it. You, you, you have to uh, rely on, on that education for the rest of your life. And that's a nonsense. So those are the six themes. And yeah, I suppose I can keep rolling, but I'll, I'll give you um, some opportunities to, to cut and clip. Um, what is the biggest struggle for people in this age range? Um, I think the biggest struggle for people in this age uh, range is, I think, confidence. I think it's 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 the lack of confidence and. With, when we um, opened the common rooms last year, <clears throat> most of the people who joined as members of the common rooms are looking, okay, yes, they were looking to find <clears throat> jobs, purpose, start businesses. Um, but the first step to that was rediscovering their confidence. Um, too many people have had their confidence uh, confidence shattered, they've lost, it's been eroded um, over the course of many years. And there are very few environments where you can test yourself um, in a safe setting, um, where you can take risks, where you can share things that you wouldn't ordinarily share. That's, it's, a, it's a place that's mutually supportive. And we find that members, even after spending an hour in the common room uh, in, a, in a workshop setting or in a group setting just feel like a weight is lifted. And, and as conference re confidence returns, um, so does the dynamism, the opportunity and the purpose and the drive and the achievement. Um, so I, I think having spaces, environments where people can connect with other people, share and, and, and just reaffirm their value, that, that's a very powerful thing um before i go back onto the the confidence theme um i i would like you to explain the common room for people who don't know about it right <clears throat> excuse me so when we started the age of no retirement and we realized that we need to move away from focusing on the older space exclusively and and changing the the narrative we wanted we did two two fundamental things first is we wanted to do some proper research in order to determine whether the generational stereotypes the generation xyz boomers snowflakes millennials whatever you, you 
you were talking about, um, whether they are indeed as different from each other, from one another, as whoever crafted them would have us believe. Um, so we surveyed 2,000 people, and this is back in 2016, um, from ages 18 to 99, asking them all about uh, life's tensions. So what's the quality of their health, the quality of their relationships with their friends and family, their, their, their finances, their work, their jobs, whether they have enough time in their lives for the things that are um, most important to them, whether the pace of technological change is too fast. Um, and when we analyzed all the, all the data, all the results, we discovered um, to our delight that all the, um, the curves, all the graphs were pretty much flat lines. There, there was no statistical difference or statistically relevant difference between people of 25 or 65 or 35 or 55. And, and with that research, and we published um, a report um, entitled In Common, and with that research, we pretty much turned the age of no retirement um, from redeveloping retirement and, and that whole concept to the fact that retirement is now gone and that people cannot expect to have a retirement in the traditional sense. And so from the earliest of ages, you need to start planning for a more independent life, to be more resilient, more flexible and, and, and adaptable and learning. Um, and... When we completed that, um, that, that research, we, we now knew that people had more in common, but we didn't know what the, the, the most powerful thing was that would attract people of all ages into a space, into an environment that would not only attract them into their environment, but it would serve, would, in, by attracting them all into the environment, it would create such an energized, exciting, space that it would serve to elevate each participant in that space. So we managed to raise uh, some funding for another piece of, piece of research in 2017-18. And it was all about trying to figure out what that thing was, what that service is that's missing within our communities that would serve as, a, as, an, as an ageless magnetic hub. And we we chose a geography a borough in, in London with a population of about 250,000. We analyzed the ecosystem and we um, identified uh, sort of a, a proxy subset for the entire diversity of, of that community. And it was, we, we interviewed 80 people, um, each individually for an hour, asking them simply two questions. How did you get to where you are currently in life? And people, took the answer in any direction they, they wanted to, and we recorded these conversations. <clears throat> and the second question is, where do you think you're going and how do you think you're going to get there? And again, we recorded the conversations, we, 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 we transcribed it into an insights encyclopedia of 80 life stories. And then we got some very clever service designers and creatives and, and business people, and also people from the third sector, from the charitable sector, from housing associations, to read these anonymized stories and take a red pen and mark them, whatever stood out. And when we got together for a series of workshops to figure out what we'd learned, what we were learning from these stories, we discovered two powerful things. The first was the most powerful driving force in people's lives that 
people, all people of all ages have in common is the love that they have for their family members. Um, and that was no surprise, I suppose, but um, we try to figure out how we could design a service that could leverage that finding. But we found that that, that, that love, that passion is deeply personal and doesn't translate to other people's families and found it very difficult to figure out how that service might work for everybody. Um, but the second most powerful thing, a close, close second that people have in common across all ages is the continuous pursuit of purpose. And not just any purpose, it's, it's a purpose that aligns your, your, your passion for something, your sense of fulfillment and achievement, but your ability to earn as well. So um, if you can find a job that you love doing and you earn money, then it's not a job and you love your life and you feel fulfilled and you wake up every morning and you can't get, up, get out of bed fast enough. So we thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we could create an environment where through the power of human connection and some other service design, we, we could enable people to find their perfect job that, that they're passionate about, that aligns with their skills and their motivations. They feel fulfilled and they're financially independent and they have a great life. So it took us six months to design the common room, but the common room was fundamentally designed to be a purpose hub, a purpose hub that um, is open to anybody over the age of 15, because um, 15 in the UK is, is, is where you start choosing your subjects for your careers. And so we can help people from as early uh, an age as that. Um, and there's no upper limit. So the common room is really not for everybody all the time, but at some stage and probably many stages in people's lives when they hit a transition point or a brick wall or they want to change or they're stuck and they want to be, get unstuck or they're looking for some inspiration, then the common room is there for them. So the common room is a physical space, which is very ironic given what COVID has achieved uh, in the last uh, four months. But the common room is a physical space. It's, uh, it's deeply rooted within a community. It's there, it's open nine to five, Monday to Friday, and some evenings and some weekend days. Um, it, it is a hosted environment. So there's a facilitator there, a welcomer, a greeter, a person person who's, who, uh, who makes sure that whoever crosses the th threshold is welcomed in. Um, it's a place with a curriculum, a purpose curriculum. So you discover in, in workshops, in group workshops, um, what matters in life, what gets in the way, how to navigate through or around what gets in the way, how to um, uh, re affirm your skills, your superpowers, your attributes, um, figure out what your social worth might be, write a social CV that can be the, the flip side of your economic CV. Um, and also look at setting yourself some, some big goals. Um, also as part of that curriculum, we have partners who deliver startup training programs or employability programs. So there's, there's a lot of, um, of assistance in work and starting businesses, but also in volunteering and community action and projects. So if you wanna monetize a hobby, there's clubs that start out for that. So um, the common room is a space that's open to everybody. The only two requirements are that you have to be over 15 and that you have to come with, an, with, an, with, a, with open arms uh, and, and a hopeful attitude and be prepared to, to be engaged. Um, you can come at work, you can come and meet and it's entirely free 
for people because it is funded through um, other stakeholders, whether it's um, its foundation or it's a local government organization, um, because the return on investment in social and economic terms is, is so great um, that it makes perfect sense for a common room to exist in every community. What are some of the returns? Can you elaborate? Well, we, the pilot that we were running, we had two sites <clears throat> in London. Um, we started in March 2019 and COVID closed them in March 2020. So in the first, the first um, one was open for a year, the second one was open for six months. But the trajectory was very powerful and 40% of our members had completed the curriculum, the purpose curriculum. Uh, and many of them have progressed into the startup training program and the employability program. And many had started to be interviewed for jobs and a few people have got jobs. And also a few people had started businesses and social enterprises. So extrapolating from that tra trajectory, we were looking at a, <clears throat> a three times return on financial investment in year two and five to 10 in year three. Beyond that, <clears throat> we couldn't really say. Um, but there's also and we haven't measured this yet, but we intended to do this the second year, is the social return on investment because you have a wellness factor um, influence of the common room with regards people's positive mental attitude, their engagement, um, the decrease in, um, I suppose, antisocial behavior and, and crime. Now, the common room um, in North London was on a previously very dark corner it was it wasn't a very cheerful space and when it got dark in the evenings it wasn't a nice place to walk past but it, it um it was a closed shop quite a large shop and so the common room took up residence there and so we had triple frontage glass onto the um, sidewalk and we ran all our workshops right up against the window. So people walking past would see the activity, the energy, the, the enthusiasm, the dynamism, and also the diversity of participants. Uh, and people who walk past would typically come in the next day and say, what was that about? And we'd say, well, you know, this is the purpose hub, sign up. And, they, and invariably they would. So it, it started to become known as, as, as a place, a positive place. Um, and I was very, uh, very excited to, to be able to measure the social return on investments and sort of three to five years down the line. I think that could be quite powerful. So what do you think are the key steps to discovering one's purpose? I imagine this will be really helpful with um, COVID and this transition that we're going into. And I don't know, I imagine quite a few people are probably feeling quite lost as well. What, what do you do in this situation when everything's uncertain in terms of job security and many other things? And purpose finding could be the, the next thing for a lot of people. What do you think are the key steps to discovering your purpose? Um, well, discovering your purpose is... Is indeed that it, it, it's entirely up to the individual to discover it, and uh, we, we can't be prescriptive. We can't analyze anybody and say, "Okay, um, on the basis of what you've told us, your purpose is X." Um, and because of that, it requires the individual to participate to some extent, to 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 engage, to converse. Um, and it doesn't have to be onerous. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to put you on a pedestal. Um, 
<clears throat> the thing about the common room is, is you can enter and progress at your own pace. So there's, there's no requirement or, or need to be made to feel uncomfortable. Um, but it does require the first step to cross that threshold. So whether, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's an online environment, you can come onto our fortnightly storytelling forums and, and just listen. Um, and actually yesterday we, we kickstarted a project to, to, I wouldn't say redevelop the common room because the common room is the common room. It came out of a very rigorous design, inclusive design process. And I can't imagine that COVID is going to keep us all away from each other forever. I think at some stage we will have human contact again, again in, a, in a physical sense. And um, so I think the common room is still a very valid and relevant and of its time model. The key thing now is to figure out how we can COVID proof the common room um, in the short and medium term and transition back to, uh, to a, a full um, physical space. But the COVID situation has taught us quite a few valuable lessons. And I think that, that not everything that we've been forced to embrace during this COVID shutdown um, can and should be thrown away if, if we ever uh, can, can re return as things were. Um, so I think a hybrid common room model of online, offline, um, physical, as well as remote working can be a very, very powerful thing. Um, and so I think that people taking the first step can be online, it, it can be remote, it can also be physical, um, but they do need to take the first step. And, and what we were discovering in the first um, uh, couple of common room pilot sites was that people would invite friends in, the word would get out. Um, so we didn't have to do any marketing. We did hardly any marketing on the second common room. The word got out and people who were engaged had such a positive experience that they told their friends and their family. And I mean, not everybody would come immediately, but it, it was building, it really was. And so it took us six months to get 300 members in the first common room. And it took us half that time, six weeks to get 300 members in the second one. Um, by the time we finished, I think it was six and a half months of the second one, we had 550 members. Um, and 90% of those members lived within half an hour's walk of the common room. So it, it just shows you how powerful it was. It didn't require social media to advertise it. It, it just was word of mouth. And, and also tells, I suppose, a story about how needed, necessary, that common room was in that particular community. Were the members well connected? Did they gradually get to know each other? What was, what was the space like? What was the energy like? So the space was, it's an open space. Um, it had seating for 30 people, um, but it's mostly around tables and chairs. So most tables had five, six, seven, maybe eight chairs around it. Um, so people would either work at tables or two or three or four, they might have a conversation or they might flow between tables. Uh, that was when things, when events weren't happening or workshops weren't happening. When workshops were happening, you'd have um, one half of the room, which was far more dynamic and, and, and involved and um, sort of choreographed in a sense. Um, but there was also a, a, a soft um, 
seating area with coffee and, and, and snacks. So it, it was pretty informal and, and fluid. And the, the way the common room uh, as it was, was engineered, I suppose, was, was that 25 to 30% of the common room time was, was, was owned by us in a sense that we delivered events for members. Uh, we delivered the curriculum. Uh, we controlled things to an extent. Um, about 70% of the time in the space was available to members for them to determine what it is that they wanted to do. So um, clubs were starting to evolve around sustainability and about arts and crafts, about monetizing hobbies. Um, so anything that people were passionate about, could be music, could be learning languages, um, that's the space was there for them to, to, uh, uh, to use. And yeah, at the time of, of, of shutdown, we were starting to get into that next iteration where uh, it was proposed by members that on Sundays we, we might have an in, indoor market where everybody can have uh, bring all their wares and, and, and put them on display and sell them rather than spending a lot of money at other markets. Mm. Um, and, and that was very exciting. We also had a charter, a sustainability charter being drawn up by some members to challenge every member of the common room to live or to embrace some elements of sustainable living. Um, so we, we, were, we were looking to challenge members to, to adopt five of the, of the list of 30 sustainability elements in their lives. Um, and that could have been measured longer term and the impact of that could have been quantified. So there's lots and lots and lots of things that could have emerged from the common room. Really interesting because I'm thinking of, um, so this element of chance when when you have a physical space and people go there with a purpose or, or they're just in the space being present, it opens with openness, with enough openness in, it, of each, in each individual, you open up a space where it can potentially bring people together and ideas could jump off each other and, and you know, things can come out of it. And a lot of times you, you can have something really positive that comes out of these interactions that are completely unplanned and just thereby coincidence or chance. And it's like what you, you were talking about, like initiatives to start the market or initiatives on, you know, what can each person do to, to live more sustainably. And, and without a physical space, would these sort of interactions be as possible? Because, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things... Um, that we really struggle with in big cities is is get, getting a space to do stuff, getting a space for people to be with and also having a space where people would actually want to come because a lot of times there are so many things going on in a city that people get lost. There is so much that's going on. There just, there's so much that's happening. And even if they, they think it's a really cool idea, it's a cool project or it's a cool space, do people want, would people want to go there regularly? And and then there's also the element of time. And I wonder if um, this is also something about inter, like intergenerationally, when we think about it, working adults might have less time than people who are retired or students or people who have just graduated. And what kind of, um, what kind of age range do you have in the common room? Mm -hmm. And also if, if these these groups from different age ranges, do they, do they actively interact with each other? Yeah. Um, well, the, the thing about the common room is people come first and foremost because it offers the opportunity to explore um, 
financial opportunities. So I think that at, at the heart of it is, is the economic driver. Um, but once people are there, that economic driver can be fulfilled by doing anything. You can have a social enterprise, you can, um, you can create a business out of a hobby, you can get a job, a career, you can, you can also mix it all up. You can do a bit of volunteering and a bit of community action and also have a part-time job or start a business that's flexible. So um, the, the, the magnetism of the common room is, is still very much economically aligned purpose or, 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 or revenue aligned purpose. Um, but serendipity is such a huge part of that. And it is impossible for us to engineer. In fact, it would be complete folly for us to over-engineer the common room so that it's so restrictive um, that you're trying to you know, engineer that speed dating and, the, and, and all those kinds of connections, looking at attributes and how do you match people and mentor-mentee and reciprocal mentoring. All of that is, is, is just really putting layers and layers and layers in between people. Um, whereas, in fact, all you want to do is get them in and give them the freedom to explore themselves. Um, so much of, I think, that the second year of the common, any common room would be driven by its members. Um, so the first year is driven by the host facilitator bringing in the members, turning the crank on the, on the curriculum. But then it'll reach a steady state where members take over, probably in you know, the, the third, fourth quarter. Um, and, and that's amazing. We were starting to, to, to feel that earlier this year. As far as the age is concerned, and this is very, very, very interesting, where we did the, um, the design of the common room and we were exploring every aspect, we, we discovered that um, people said they won't come to a place, and this is before it was called the common room, we don't have a name for it. They said that it wouldn't be, they wouldn't come to a place if it was made clear that it's an intergenerational center because they don't want to come to a place where they feel that they are labeled as younger or older and are forced upon the, the, the reciprocal counterpart. So if they're younger, they're going to be matched with somebody older and, and they didn't see any value in that. Um, and we realized that that's absolutely true. There's, there's no value in, in, in just the number age. There's, it's absolutely meaningless. So somebody who could be, could have acquired very little experience in a very long, you know, long life, and, and others can require, acquire huge amounts of experience in a very short time. Um, so people need to meet with the, 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 the people with the skills and the, and the networks and the experience that is relevant to them. Um, so we took out all mention of intergenerational age or old or anything like that from all the communications of the common room. It doesn't mention that. The, the, the name the common room is because we have all more things in common and differences and that all the other isms and the diversities and everything else, we're just not gonna talk about it because this is, this is an inclusive space. We don't even talk about inclusivism and diversity or anything. It's the common room and about purpose. That's all we talk about. Um, and amazingly, the the age distribution is, it actually couldn't be better because we have, we have 60% of our members are between the ages of 30 and 60. So we have 20% in their 30s, 20% in their 40s, and 20% in their 50s. Um, and then flanking that 60% central cohort 
we have 15% in their 60s up to 70. We've got 15% in their 20s. And then we've got 5% over 70 and 5% under 20. So it's very much a shallow distributed Gaussian curve. Um, and I mean, that's quite amazing because you talk about you know, purpose and, and fulfillment and you just get everybody involved. Um, amazingly towards the, well, I would say towards the end, it's not really the end, we haven't started, but the, uh, in earlier this year, we started to get um, classes of school kids from nearby high schools coming in to learn about um, careers and startups and design thinking and purpose. And we just chat. And the, the, the two teachers who brought the two classes, they absolutely loved that environment. And whoever was in the common room would participate. Um, it, was, it was very unstructured, but I think they learned more. In fact, they told me they learned more in those sessions than they did at school in the structured learning environment. So there are the purpose workshops, and then there are also steps or um, workshops in place that will help people push their social enterprise enterprise forward so yeah. it's not it's not like a situation where you know you go in you've discovered your purpose and you're like oh great i'm gonna really I, i'm gonna start this thing but then i don't know where to go it's like at every at every step there is there is some sort of guidance or some sort of support to make make sure that it's realized yes and, and again it's it's not too intense but we um every common room wherever it is has to connect with um, services that are available um, free of charge, um, they're made available by the government or some other local charitable organization that relate to um, learning how to start a business or learning how to write your CV or improve your interview skills. Um, and also uh, local community network managers, so people who know all about the local charities and about the local social projects, etc. So, so whatever the member wants to do, um, we don't have to know everything in the common room. We can connect people, we signpost people um, to what's available within the community, all the, all the while offering the common room up as a physical space for them to invite those people in to have the meetings and the conversations, or if they want to start a business, they can have their initial workshops and whiteboarding ideas, brainstorming. Uh, we started teaching classes on the business model canvas and the double blind design process. So, um, and every common room would make forays in different directions, depending on what the members need. Um, what we really want to start creating across a distributed common room network is a, is also a library or catalog of curriculum-based services and, and courses and workshops that, that if they developed in a common room in Hong Kong, they can be used in any common room around the world. It's just, uh, it's, it's all open source from within the common room. So back on this um, theme of confidence, because I would imagine in terms of themes like purpose or confidence, it's super relevant regardless of regardless of age and I would think a younger person would probably have less confidence than someone who's older and more experienced because you don't know what's out there you don't know what what jobs what people who are hiring want um, you don't have that much of an experience in terms of you know what workplaces are like or what industries are like which people who are older 
have that experience, even if maybe sometimes they don't have um, technical or IT skills to match that up. So what, what, what are the workshops like in, in terms of helping people with um, the confidence and also, and also purpose? But I guess it's also um, what, what were the, the activities that really helped people in gaining that confidence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a little bit of sleight of hand and, and deflection um, because you can't teach confidence. Confidence comes through uh, positive feedback and reinforcement of, 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 of one's performance, uh, participation. So the, I suppose if you start right at the beginning, when, when members join the common room, you say, okay, you've, you've signed up, we've got your, you filled out the form, um, now sign up to the next uh, workshop, the next purpose workshop. So it's like an induction workshop. Um, and the first two elements of that workshop um, really make, enable people to make the greater strides in, in, in building confidence. And it's got nothing to do with work and employability. The first one is, depending on the size of the workshop, we divide the participants into subgroups. There could be three, four or five people in each subgroup, depending on, on how big the, the whole uh, group is. And each subgroup is tasked with, with creating a, a map of life. So uh, have uh, whiteboards and all the colors of Sharpies you can imagine and post-it notes and, and, and other things. And, um, and they need to think about a, a metaphor. So whether it's, it's, a, it's, it's a forest or it's a tree or if it's, it's a river or a winding road or a mountain or, 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 the, or the galaxy, stars and planets, but they, it could be a spider's web. There's so many different, it could be a layered cake but they, they need to think of a, of a metaphor that they need to come up with that can tell the story of a good life. What, what, and, and what are the most important elements of a good life? And think of a good life from zero to 100, all the aspects. And so some people take a very detailed chronological view of what a good life. Others look at just big concepts and they look at concepts that are powerful um, sort of life forces and what's important in life that are as relevant regardless of your age, but then there's others that are more age specific or life stage specific. So as a group or as individuals are working together on this and they're of all ages, so you'll have 20 something and a 40 something and a 60 something all working together. Nobody points out each other's age, but they might refer to the experience they have because they've been through that life stage where others haven't. Um, and all sharing and building. And then they present their map with great pride to the other groups. And you might have three, four, five maps being presented in, in, in one session. Um, and that just bonds people because they've been speaking about life, about what's important. They've debated and discussed and agreed and disagreed. And, um, and then the next segment is about what stops people living that life? What gets in the way? What gets in the way that's, that's real? that you can't do anything about, but also what gets in the way that you impose as a barrier without needing to. And everybody mentions confidence in in that regard. So that's when confidence becomes a conscious entity. Um, 
and you look at the life that everybody should aspire to and then you look at all these barriers and the obstacles and then one powerful element is is we look at all those obstacles all those post-it notes that are up on the wall all the things that get in the way and then ask people to move to another wall all those elements that can be reduced or negated or or obviated or just got away um, by participation in the common room. So, and, and then you start to see, oh, there's so many things that just being together, being supportive, being in a nurturing environment, being in a safe environment, you can test new things, is, can actually make 75% of these barriers and obstacles disappear. Um, and, and that's, and just doing that, which can take an hour and a half if it's in a small group, can make people think, oh, why, why do I keep holding myself back? <laughs> and that's really the, the, the realization within two hours of joining the common room. So people say, why am I shackling myself? Why am I doing this to myself? Because th that's what most people are, are experiencing. The fact that lack of confidence, um, lack of adequate support and, and encouragement within their social environment is just getting them stuck. Um, and that's the starting point for the common room. Would you say that's the power of community? It's the power of community, but the, see, the thing is that the, I, I don't know much about many other places in the world, but in, in London, all our community spaces have gone. They've been sold, they've been turned into flats. And also the way people live now, the, the fact that the, the cars speed along all the roads, the kids aren't playing on their bikes, they're not playing football in the streets. It's, it's um it's a very different environment and and when we did the research for the common room we discovered one of the biggest problems is that and this is just repeating verbatim what people said so many times there is nowhere to go there's nowhere to go for people to connect and share and be inspired they're community centers but the community centers have now been taken over by the the, the, the creches and care home type way of thinking so it's it's the extremely young and the extremely old um and so that whole common room membership which is 90 percent of life is is just there's no place for those people to go you're either in work in which case you're at work or you're not at work in which case you're home uh, and you might go to the park to walk your dog or you know something along those lines go to gym but if there's no lifelong learning center which is really what we want the common room to be is is a is a is a lifelong learning center, purpose center. So you can learn, get unstuck, be inspired, and move on. What really excites me about the common room is that it's about communities, but it's also about human connection and it's about network. And and when you have a network that is based locally that continues to expand and reaches out to not just individuals but also organizations, you know that you have people who, who will have your back. Like you, you know that you can get to people in certain agencies or certain organizations or, or you know, certain companies. And a lot of jobs these days, you, you get employed because you somehow knew someone or you did an internship somewhere and then they know you and they want to employ you, which means that for people who don't have the sort of privilege or circumstances in which they could do an internship that's unpaid or they don't have certain connections, it's super difficult for people to get jobs. But mm -hmm. then having a space like the, this means that it doesn't matter your background, you go in and you will, you will have the opportunities and, and the space and the chance to be able to meet more people 
and that can that can open up chances in terms of employment and and many other things. What mm-hmm. is what are the sort of um, uh, impact or I guess like um, have people have people gotten jobs from the stuff that they were doing in the common room? Um, yeah. How and and in terms of startups, um, what sort of support did they get? Did, how 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 are the startups um, going on right now? Well, I think I think much of the much of the small businesses are really suffering at the moment. Um, the there the, there were there were quite a number of startups that were starting to trade as self-employed individuals. So they they found the confidence to to almost dust off their skills and experience on their previous careers um, and to start market themselves as uh, as consultants or as, as uh, as advisors or um, administrators or any, anything along those lines, um, uh, I, I haven't been able because the rooms are closed. Been able to follow up with everybody who started businesses, but there's been quite a few um, craft-related businesses, and a few people got jobs. But at the at the time of closure in March, we were busy working on the next stage of of our impact measurement because the first the first year was was mostly about if we build it will they come <laughs> and and there, there was a big tick in that box so we we know that that the curriculum works we know the branding works we know the messaging works we know the need is out there we know we know that we we identified and evaluated and qualified the need accurately um, and so the next step was to look at the at the actual economic and social value of of the common room. Um, and so, other beyond anecdotal evidence, uh, we don't have that uh, that hard those hard facts yet. Um, but with regards to the employment side of things, the common room has the potential to be a mark for employers um, as a mark on the CV that if, if you have been or are a common room member, if you've been through the common room environment, um, that should be seen as a, as a positive attribute on, on a CV. Not only are you civic minded, you are engaged with the community, but you put yourself out there, you've crossed that threshold and you've explored yourself openly, you've, you've explored what matters in life, what matters to you. And if you then apply for a job, it's kind of aligned with your purpose goals. Um, we also feel that the common room could and should have an, an, an employment service um, within it, so that um, it, it it acts as a as a conduit between the employment market out there and jobs and careers in, in the local environment uh, and members in the common room. I think that can be quite a valuable service. Something that I realised it's also financial sustainability and independence is so closely tied to being able to pursue your purpose because eventually people need to feed their basic needs but mm-hmm. it's it's super difficult when you don't have some sort of income somewhere to to sustain the work that you're doing even if it's the most meaningful or fulfilling work if you can't feed yourself and have your basic needs met it's really difficult to continue that mm-hmm. we didn't want to talk about purpose in a suppose a quasi-religious sense where where, so for us purpose means about the aligning of fulfillment with with revenue 
um, so that you, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, a socially good thing in the sense of sustainability or recycling or anything along those lines. You, you could just be an accountant, you know, doing accounting um, and that you might love doing that and it earns you money and that's your purpose. And it's, it's, it's as, as exciting to, to find that in an individual as, as to somebody who wants to change the planet with regards renewable energy and things like that. So it's the full spectrum of jobs and careers and works uh, and, and work in the common room. In fact, one of the things that we, we're starting now, particularly in this COVID environment, is, is, to, is to start to put the future of work higher on our agenda because it's always been out there. It's always about working from home, flexible working, because there's so many, so many ways to work, so many types of, of, of jobs and careers and startups nowadays that the common room is, is almost at the forefront of the future of work. But this COVID environment has, has, has brought that future of work right to our front door. And, and we, we need to now in this next iteration of the common room, almost be driving that thinking is, um, is, is, is beyond the portfolio career or flexible working. It needs to be the, the, the next generation of the future of work. What do you think is the future of work? Well, the future of work, as far as the common room is concerned, is that it's nonlinear and that you, you, it's not and soon won't be the university or college and then you get into a career and then you realize only too late in your 40s and 50s that you haven't kept your skills up or you haven't kept learning and you haven't kept your networks alive or you haven't done any networking. So I think that it has to be far more dynamic and um, current and um, I suppose invigorating than it ever has been before. So whether you work from home or you work in an office or you work part from home or part from an office or you work in a remote team or alone, whatever all this, I don't see that as being the big questions anymore. I think that the big questions are around that that pursuit of purpose and the lifelong learning and and networks and keeping current and keeping relevant and dynamic because so many people join the common room because they've been made redundant after working for an organization for 10 20 years and and they they are, they are their skill set has become so narrow their their portfolio of knowledge and experience is so narrow that it's very difficult to rekindle their confidence and their, and their um, flexibility and adaptability and ability to learn new things so rapidly so that they can do other things. Um, and that's really what I want to avoid. So will you be um, offering workshops in the common room in the future in terms of improving one's skills in various different aspects? Well, I think it's more along the lines of um, of the storytelling, and so we, we and networking. So meeting people um, from different backgrounds, different jobs, different careers, um, and just really talking and having having sharing opportunities more than 
trying to cram everything a university has to offer into your mind on the off chance that you might need it at some stage in your future. So um, it's much more, um, I think, relevant for people to know a, a broad range of people that they can call on um, when they need to and, and be introduced and be advised and be counseled, uh, be supported. I think, and that's really what the common room is about, is, is as well as finding your purpose, it's that human connection, because the, the human connection is, I think, something that we're largely missing. And it's not just about networking, going to network meetings and how many people are on your LinkedIn. It's, it's about the quality of relationships. It's really about something that's informal and organic. Yeah. And, and how... You don't really know what it is that you might be missing or what you might need or what you might be inspired by until, again, you cross that threshold. And you don't have to come to the common room every day. You can come to the occasional meetup. You can come to the occasional events. Um, you can um, tap in online. You, you can get the newsletters. It, it doesn't have to be, but I think it's just to stay tapped in in a way that's, that's, that's right for you. Uh, that's the most important thing. So that when you need the common room, if if you be if you made redundant, if you are passed over and you don't want to carry on in that business, if you um, if you're bored, um, if you feel that there's more to life, if you want to start your business um, that you've been thinking about for so long, then at the earliest opportunity, not when it's too late, is to come to the common room, come in the evenings, come on a weekend. Um, come a day on in your holiday, maybe, and, and just you know, explore things. What are the future or long-term plans that you have for the common room? Oh, well, uh, sky's the limit, I suppose. Um, what, what we need is, is to come up with a new, uh, I suppose, COVID-compliant common room uh, processes. And with a view to, obviously, looking at the post-COVID environment as well. So it's uh, it's what that mix of online, offline is, um, and what the most efficient operational model is. So, you know, whether it's clusters of five common rooms within a certain geographic radius, or it's 10 or, so how, how, how you can have a lean admin supporting um, mechanism behind each common room. So what won't work is having one common room in every city. Uh, you, you need to almost build on a, on a minimum five common rooms per city that you can embed that and then grow from that. Um, we've also got to figure out what the franchise or license model might, might, might be because th that would be the easiest way to, to scale. But then, of course, it's what, the, what, is the, what is the balance between control and ownership with regards to the brand and the curriculum and the freedom of using the 70% for local needs uh, within that, that broad purpose parameter. Um, what, what we've been really reluctant to do is to do anything that's age specific, for example. So um, we don't let our members say, this is only for 50 pluses, <laughs> say that, that that's almost illegal in the common room. Um, we also don't want to have anything that's not purpose related. So we don't want to have the common room um, bogged down or clogged up by people who play backgammon or chess or, or dominoes the whole time. It, it, 
it, it needs to be for people who are looking to progress and to release themselves and achieve things and be better people. Um, so those are the two things and, and we need to somehow be able to maintain that on a scale basis. Because if you think about it, if each common room, um, and really we're talking about you know, in ideal circumstances, each common room around the world that is serving a local resident population um, is look, it will, because of its local residents, be looking to solve local problems. But because humanity is what humanity is, that the, the, the problems overlap to such a degree everywhere in the world. So um, whatever problem is solved in the far east can be a solution in the far west or the far north or the far south. And, um, and that's the exciting thing of the common room is when you get tens, hundreds of common rooms around the world. And I've, you know, God, if, you, if you play this back to me in 20 years time, who knows what it's going to be like. But it's the crowdsourcing of solutions. It's the crowdsourcing of, of human-led, design-led um, solutions that could be really powerful um, societal change mechanisms. Um, and that's what really excites me. That, that's, that's the, the true potential of the common room. If you could... Um... If you get to that point, that stage where you could expand it to different countries, how, how, what will it be like? How will it look? I guess, what, what is it that you need for, for that sort of expansion? Yes. So the, the common room model is, I suppose it's, it, it does require a, um, a few things. So it requires some funding for the host facilitator, um, or it could be the host or a member who's a member of the common room that can be the host, but the actual workshop facilitation or the curriculum facilitation could be delivered by an expert across five um, local common rooms in, in the city. And that's within a, a reasonably confined geographical area. Um, so there's funding for that and there's funding for the the materials, the admin materials, and, and there's some startup funding because you need the furniture in the common room. But the, the biggest cost is not so much a cost, more than an opportunity cost. So it's the local government or the local housing association or local foundation that's got space that's not being utilized. So it might be a high street that, that's not that healthy and it's got some vacant shops, um, but a space that not too big. I mean, we, we what, what are we talking? We're talking about, I don't even know how to work in meters, but 50, 100 square meters. Um, it's, it's not a huge space. But if, if that organization can forego rent on that space and gift it, not to own, but to use for the community, that's that's the starting point of the common room. So both the common rooms in London uh, were provided free of charge, one by the local government, um, local authority, and the other one by a local housing association. Um, this, there's loads of space around, um, but the common room, I suppose, requires not to be, not to require uh, rent for a place that is currently not being utilised. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for underutilized space or non-use space. 
If you can ask someone to do one thing that can create a change that you're working towards, what will it be? I guess what are concrete actions people can take to create change? I, when we started doing the, the, the age and no retirement, the common room, and I got into the social space, I went to all the conferences um, to do with age and aging and, um, and also diversity and inclusion. And over the five, six, seven years, I realized that I was being drawn into the space because I was talking at these conferences and I was networking at these conferences. And I've realized that by and large, they were all, all the conversations, all the speakers were largely around every sentence starting, we need to or we must. We need to or we must. And everybody who started all these sentences, me included, we need to or we must, had no way of knowing whether what they're talking about actually is right or wrong. It was all, you know, you read enough and then you start formulating your own opinions and then you start on the need we must bandwagon. Um, and over the last year, I've stopped going to conferences because I realized that we're just all saying to each other, we need, we must, and nobody's got any evidence of having done anything. Um, so when the common room model came off the design conveyor belt in, in April 2018, I said, okay, I'm going to stop talk saying we need, we must. I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, knuckle down and do this because we have now got a survey, 2000 people saying people have got more in common. Then we've got a design project of 80 people, 80 life stories saying it's all about purpose and economic, economically fulfilling purpose. So let's just deliver the common room. And in a year or two or three years time, we can go, go to these conferences and say, look what we've done. Here's the evidence. Um, I'm not going to say we need to be masked because if, if this doesn't compel people to, to, to embrace these discoveries, then I'm sorry, all, all these conferences are a complete waste of time. So, so I think that people need to push assumptions aside. They need to try and discover the essence of truth in the need or opportunity. They need to design something that offers a new way to address challenges or opportunities to deliver impact and need to roll up the sleeves and do it. Um, and then we need conferences around the things that have been done, not the things that must be done. Do you have um, any last words that you want to say? Anything else that you want to share? Uh, no, other than um, We've set ourselves a task for the next three months to, to reconfigure the common room. Um, and round about October time, we're going to um, be, I think, out there uh, pitching the common room. So it'll be a model that we know we can deliver. Um, it'll be a model that would need to be paid for, that we work on the most affordable, uh, efficient, effective, um, mechanism for delivery that offers the quickest social and economic return on investment um, and for it to be a model that people who really do care about local communities about the residents their citizenship about the local economies I, I believe 
would be compelled to, to at least test it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not out there to make massive profits. We just want to be scalable and sustainable. Um, and we think we've got a model that can do some real cool stuff. So, so that's it. So if, um, if this in, a, in, in some way helps us get the word out that we're available um, and willing to talk come October time to, to anybody with influence um, in service delivery anywhere in the world, we'd be happy to zoom away. So you're ready to have uh, the common room export to the rest of the world in October? I think so. I mean, we'd have to do it cautiously and it depends on, on what sort of uh, funding we get because it could very well be that an organization wants us to, to do it far quicker than we would otherwise do. But, you know, again, that, that depends on the funding. Um, but certainly at the, at the bare minimum, we'd be able to deliver in a city a cluster of five common rooms. Um, I don't think it would take take very long to do anywhere really. I mean, obviously we can't travel there and do that, but we will have the model to give the advice and guidance. It would take us a little bit longer remotely, but I think we'll have it. Where can people find out more about the common room? Um, the commonroom.life is the website, um, but most of the information, I think if you email me, it's jonathan at the commonroom.life, L-I-F-E, and Jonathan is J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Peter. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. Special thanks to Andrea for the music. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Catch you next episode.